Go ahead and be seated. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be at verses 4 through 13 this morning. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. And Nick, welcome to Texas. You and I will talk later, but the Lord has blessed you, young man. This is a good church, and you're going to have a great time here. you got a good staff, even though I think Justin cleaned himself up to make good appearance in front of you. <laughs> no. And I have enjoyed all of this. Y'all have all been thanking me, but listen, I want to thank y'all. I'm just an old retired guy sitting in Fort Worth with nothing to do, so I greatly appreciate when the elders called me out of the clear blue and asked me to come do this, and so I've had a blast doing this. So I will miss it. Uh, I won't miss the drive. That is a long drive every Sunday. Coming's good. Nobody's in the car but me. It's quiet. I just think, drive. I've got this trip now mapped out. I know what time it is but where I'm at in Dallas and then into Rockville. So I've, I've, I've I got this whole thing down. I just knew they'd have the bridge finished by the time I finished here. <laughs> you will be dead and buried before that bridge is built. <laughs> and I'm going to have, as I said like a week ago, I got to have to find some money now because I got to buy my own coffee at church. Mr. Holly, thank you again. You don't know how much I appreciate the free coffee. Uh, Nick, he buys free coffee for the pastors, so I'll make sure he does that for you also. All right. Let's get into it now. I don't know if I've preached this when I was here. If I did, that's all right. You'd forgotten it. But this, this is my favorite sermon. This is kind of my life, things I need to be reminded of on a continuous basis. You know, I'm always amazed and stunned at how Paul gets through life and handles everything that comes his way. Even when he is scared to death, he tells the church at Corinth, it does not stop him. It's a man who got up every day and did what God called him to do. In, in, the, prom, in the providence of God, God had called this man to speak to the Gentiles, to be able to preach in front of kings. But even though it's going to be a privileged position to be able to do that, the hardships are stunning what this man had to go through. And yet every morning he got up and did his job. And too often we have a tendency to think that a guy like Paul or Peter and some of these guys are superhumans, that they're some kind of superhero like we see in the Marvel shows that we'll see at the theaters. They weren't. There's nothing superhuman about any of these guys. They were frail in the flesh just like we are. They probably had their insecurities in ways that we had never imagined, but yet they got up every day because they knew something. It's not something they knew, it's someone they knew. And that someone was Jesus Christ. And it transformed these men. And when Paul gets to the, towards the end, he's writing Timothy, that last letter. We've referenced it two or three times, and we looked at it whenever we were finishing up our study of 2 Timothy last year. But when he gets that in and says, you want to know something, guys? I fought a good fight. It was a good fight what he went through. It's worth every bit of everything that he did. A good fight. But what I love best of all is what he said next. I finished the course. I got to the finish. I did not quit. You know, I remember back when I played football in high school, I was 5'4", 120. My senior year, 
I got beat up many times on the field. There's a law of physics involved. And if you're little like that, you're going to lose to a guy that's 6'2 and 240 pounds. <clears throat> and I take the brunt many times. And I come home, I tell my mom, I don't think I want to finish. I mean, you hurt bad after a game when you get beat up like that. I just think it's time to quit. My mom said, nope, you started, you finish. Being raised by Wilma Branson was you never quit anything. You, if you start something, you go all the way to the finish. Paul said, you want to know something, guys? I finished. And there's no greater satisfaction in life than to be able to hang in there all the way to the finish of whatever you're going through. And when it's over with, you stand there and go, I got through it. By God's grace, I'm standing. So he says, I finished the course. But then he kept what was very important. And a lot of times I've seen preachers go by the wayside. He kept the faith. After all the hits this man took, he still trusted Jesus. You could not rob him of his faith in Christ Jesus. There was nothing that happened. No person who undercut him, no person who hated him, no person who beat him up, no person who attacked him made him stop serving his Lord because he knew who he was and he loved him with all of his heart. So then that brings me to what I want to do today. How did he get there? Well, this passage here I think is a great thing for all of us. And if I did this before, then we'll do it again. And twice ought to really finally get it in. And you can follow up on it and live it out all this week. All right? So stand with me as we read. We'll read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Here's what the Apostle Paul is going to say. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. And the reason? Because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then finally he adds, Brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on this. Think it through. Reflect on it. Then he goes, the things you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me. You know what I want you to do with this? I want you to practice these things. And if you will do that, the God of peace will be with you always. Now I rejoice in the Lord greatly that at now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. And you can underline this next statement. <clears throat> for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. That's where you and I want to be in life. Are you there? That's the challenge. Are you at the total place? You're totally content. He was. And he said this, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance that I face in life, I know the secret of being filled. I know the secret when I go hungry. I know the secret of having abundance and of suffering need. And then he concludes with verse every one of us knows and has quoted it one time or the other. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father, speak to us in a very clear way today. Teach us how Paul got here. Help us to see that really is a simple roadmap of life, of how we're to go through life, through the good and the difficult times. So, Father, watch over and guide us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, whether I've preached this before or not, I do know I've made this statement on 413. 
I always ask, especially because it's probably about the 10th or 12th time I've done this sermon around the state, and I did it three or four times. I think it was my last sermon at, at Village Parkway whenever I retired. Is this a promise? 413, is that a promise? When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I ask that question because being in the pastor for 45 years and now really two more, I'm now finishing, I was figuring out the other day, I'm finishing 48 years that I've been now in the ministry. Uh, I have heard this over and over when people get in a very difficult time and they're, they're struggling through what they're going through and they may come in to see me or I may see them at the hospital or I'm at their home visiting with them and they're going, I can do all things, I can do all things. It's almost like it's a mantra. If I say this enough, it comes true. Well, guys, there is no magical formula to get through life. Just saying a bunch of words does not get through. You can have the scripture memorized well and just quote it over and over. There's something else. How can this happen? And you say, well, it's a promise. We can claim this. No, Paul doesn't say we can. He says, I can. He didn't include the rest of us in this. When you're in the Greek, you, if you want to use the word we, there are words you use, there are verb endings you use at the Greek to say, we can do all things. He says, I can. And that was quite an observation to me one day when I'm working this, thinking through this, because I, I, people want life to magically happen. But Paul tells the church earlier in Philippians this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has given it to you, now work it out. There is nothing easy to be able to work that out. And I made the point last week in the sermon, Paul was almost 17 years from his conversion until he started preaching. There was a lot this man had to get right before he stepped into the fire to do all that he was going to do. He had to come to know and to understand the amazing truths of who Christ is and it needed to be a part of his life, and he was living it out so that when he walked into the fire of life, he was ready to be able to do what God had called him to do. So the question I want to ask myself is this. Can I do this? I know Paul can do it, but can I, can you, can we do what he says right here? Now, when he writes this letter, what's he facing? And this is a review from last week. What was he facing when he wrote the letter? Well, first of all, he's in prison. He'd been in prison seven or eight times before. We have some of the writers have said in some of the history and then in some other things. So he'd already been in prison many times. But this time when he's in prison, people are taking advantage of his situation. They're trying to make him look bad. He, he told Timothy at one time he's in prison, he's in prison as a criminal. And so people are looking now, Paul's out of the way. I can have this position. I can step up and be the leader now. Paul's gone. So they're undercutting him. It doesn't seem to bother him when you, <clears throat> when you read this. That's what's amazing to me. A lot of times pastors have jealousies and everything else running through what they're doing in ministry. There seems to be absolutely none of this with him. He's going to even say later, you know what, that's okay. As long as they're preaching Christ, I could care less what their motives are as long as Christ is being proclaimed. He's not shaken by what he sees. I said last week there was a shortage of people. He only had Timothy that he knew he could truly trust to be able to be of help to the church at Philippi, and he's just grateful for him. He's not whining because he doesn't have enough workers. He is staying very positive, and in the midst of all of this, he's facing the real possibility of death. Now, you and I, you may have had moments in time where you thought, this is about the end. God's getting ready to call me home at any moment. You may have been there once or twice in your life, especially if you've been older. Paul's right there at that moment, and you know what he says? To live is Christ, to die is gain. 
He's not even shaken by the real possibility he might die. In fact, he says, if I, go, if I stay with you, it's good. If I go on, it's even better. And so there's something about him that doesn't shake him. When Epaphroditus almost dies, it doesn't seem to bother him. In, in chapter 3, he's going to go, as we made reference last week, there are evil men. There are false circumcision. He calls some dogs. I mean, he's pretty blunt on some of his words. But he's not shaken by the evilness he found within the church setting of those false people who come within the church and try to cause havoc. He said later, there are many enemies of the cross. We're going to see more and more of that in America as the days ahead. The enemies of all that you and I hold dear in life. That does not shake him at all. He has two women, as we talked about last week, who are about to kill each other. And he says, get along. Got enough stuff going on right now. We don't need you two bickering and fussing over whatever is going on. Let's just go on. He faced a lot of difficult financial times. Nobody was supporting him except this very poor church was supporting him. And he gave them a promise. God will supply you wherever you need. It's in the midst of all of this, including everything else he told the church in 2 Corinthians 11 chapter, that now when he is writing this, he says, you know something? I can make it through this. I can do this. So that brings me now to the question. How do you and I get here? I want to be here. I want to be able, when it's all said and done, to face whatever comes to my life, stand there, walk in a manner pleasing, do it in a manner that brings glory and honor to my, to, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we get there? You know, it's easy. I love this little phrase, but it's easy to be a holy man on a mountain. You just get up by the mountain from everybody else, and you can pontificate all that you want to, and you don't have to worry about your job or anything else. It's when you get in the middle of everything going on in life. Can you be holy? Can you stand for that which is right in the midst of that? So let's look at how Paul did this. I think verses 4 through 9 give you a simple roadmap of how you do it. And I think if you get verse 4 right, everything else starts falling into place. So what does verse 4 tell us? He says this. He starts with joy. Now the first thing to leave when you and I are suffering or going through difficulty or fear or anything that hits, hits us will be joy. But he's going to tell them this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, if you've, if you've ever sat through a book study of Philippians, that's the word they're going to say characterizes this letter, the word of joy. Well, it's amazing to me that it's a letter of joy when he's going through all the difficulties that he's facing in life. He has done that in Philippians 1.18. He says, only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, he's talking about people who either have fake motives or wrong motives or those who are standing correctly. That's okay, he says. You want to know something? I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. And then he's going to say in 3.1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. But what I find fascinating in 3.1 is what he says after he says to us to rejoice. He said, it is a safeguard for you. The safest place to be in life is in the joy of the Lord. It's a safeguard. It's a refuge. If this joy is real within your heart, in the most difficult of circumstances, in a hurricane of life, you're going to be protected from the buffering of all that is hitting you during that particular moment. It is a safeguard. And I know I've referenced this. Nehemiah struck it right on target whenever he said this. The joy of the Lord. But before he said that, he said, don't be grieved by life. Don't be broken over what we've been going through and trying to put the wall up. Don't be grieving because <clears throat> we've had so many threats against our lives. 
Don't be grieving because of political stuff that's going on right now. It's been unbelievably difficult and hard. You know what I want you to do? I want you to rejoice. In fact, he's telling him it's time for a party, but he's simply going to say this. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that literally means it's your fortress. It's your refuge. <clears throat> in, that, in fact, the Hebrew in Nehemiah, you could even call this, and it does, some of the commentaries, the lexicons are going to say it's a place of safety. Literally what Paul's telling them, if you rejoice, it is a place of safety. And if I go to this, 1 Thessalonians 5, I can give you exactly God's will. I have no idea what happens after I walk out of here in a little bit. I have no idea what the next steps in life will be. I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. And I barely can see through the rest of the day, much less the days that follow. But I know what God's will is for me today and tomorrow and the day after. Rejoice always. And everything, pray without ceasing. And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is for the weeks and months ahead. For Jan and I, we'll see that as we walk through it. But one thing I do know is as we get up every single day, he wants joy. So now the million-dollar question comes this. Where do we get our joy from? Where did Paul, he's calling us to have joy. See, a lot of times you and I get our joy from our circumstances. We get a joy when we watch the grandkids doing something neat and running around the house. You get joy with watching your children sometimes being raised. Not always, but sometimes when they're being raised, you get a little bit of joy from all of that. You go to a, a sporting event, and you get joy sometimes from that. One of the problems my football team had last year was they could be very joyful when we were winning, and they could be unbelievably out of control when we were losing. It's amazing how fast that joy would vanish. Paul's talking about a joy that doesn't go with circumstances, doesn't go with feelings. What's the joy? Million-dollar question, isn't it? Because this is the key to life. It's where our strength comes from. I'm going to give you my simple observation. It comes because we, you and I have been given the greatest gift in life, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you cannot find joy in that, there's something wrong. Before the foundation world, God called us. He's adopted you into his family. You'd have never found that family, but he found you. Even your faith is a gift according to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and he made you alive. Paul told the church at Ephesus in the opening chapter that we are the most blessed people in all the world. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And Jesus tells us in John that once you're in the Father's hand, nobody can take you out of the Father's hand. So when you and I got up this morning, you want to know something? We're children of the King. We're heirs of the promises of God. And there is nothing in this world that can stop that from happening. If America falls apart in the years ahead, that's not going to be great for us. But it doesn't change who I am. In Christ Jesus, that's where I get my joy from. That's where you've got to get it from. If not, you're going to be up and down in life. And when you're up, everybody's going to love being around you. And when you're down, everybody get away. You'll be walking on eggshells around you because you're so flustered and frustrated by life. I think Paul kept this thing going so well because he knew 
He knew Christ, and it was real to him, and he held on to it, and he greatly appreciated God's grace. He would always say, I'm the least likely guy to be doing this. You ought to know that you're the least likely person to be sitting in here today worshiping with us as we uplift the name of Jesus. But he lets you do that. That's where joy comes from. And that's what we're supposed to do. So Paul starts with joy. Second, then he adds to, to this character. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. So what does that mean? Well, guys, if I am solid within this truth of what joy is about, then you should be safe around me. What do you mean by that? I'm not going to be sharp-tongued. I'm not going to scream and holler at you. I'm not going to be frustrated or angry about every single thing that goes on. Why? If my life is characterized by joy, then I ought to be a good presence to be around. You too. Let your gentle spirit. Gentle is not a weak word. Gentle is a word of power. Any fool can lose their temper, Scripture tells me. It's not hard. It doesn't take a bit of discipline to lose my temper. And I was as good at that as anybody else was when I was younger. My brothers would tell you that I'd argue with a fence post. I was going to get the last word in no matter what. Some of you may know what that's about, and you've done the same thing. But you know, after a while, you've got to let the anger go. Why would I even be angry if God has forgiven me and cleansed me and given me a special place within his kingdom and given me the privilege to be able to do what I get to do all my life? Do people always treat you right? No. Are there going to encounter evil people, try to take advantage? Yeah. But you never react wrong. I've had people at times so angry at me they couldn't see straight because anytime you sit in the big people's chair the pastor. There'll be those who don't like you. It just comes with territory. I've had them scream at me because they didn't like something. I said to one one time, I'll give you my secret. I'll outweigh you. I'll outweigh you. You'll get mad before I get mad. You're going to say something before I say something. You're going to lose it before I lose it. I'll still be here when it's all said and done. Jan sometimes say, how, how are you going to survive this person attacking you. And I'd always say, if they can take me down, I don't deserve this job. If they take me down, God said, you're finished, let's do something else. I honestly believe this gentleness is more powerful than you'll ever imagine. And so if I have joy, I'm going to be gentle. But notice one other phrase in that verse. Because the Lord is near. I would, I bet you probably didn't do this, but if my mom was in the room, I did not act wrong. Some of you said amen, I heard that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I told you a few weeks ago, I'd sit in the balcony. My mom, one time, I was acting up in the balcony, I felt eyes. I turned down, she's right here in the choir, she said on row two here on the left, and they were staring a hole through me. She was near. She was very near. And I knew that when I got in the car on the way home, I might not be alive by the time I got home. <laughs> Y'all been there, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, we have those types of things, but when you're by yourself and nobody is around and nobody's watching you, 
You know, out in West Texas, we used to say you have a 50-mile rule. If you're 50 miles from home, you do whatever you want to because nobody will see you. Don't believe that. You'll run into somebody you know. But we had the 50-mile rule. You can be 50 miles from home. You want to know something? God's there. Christ in you. I've been crucified with Christ. Not I who live, but Christ lives in me. So you know why you're that good? Because there's joy in your heart, and the Lord is with you always, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, with that, you add the third thing. There does come moments in life that life shakes you, and it scares you. It frustrates you. It hurts you. And we go into a mode, every one of us, we start worrying. And Paul's going to make a command to us, stop worrying. Be anxious for absolutely nothing in life. Trouble is, that's easy to preach. It's hard to do when you're in the circumstances and situations. Reference another story I've told since I've been here. When my son Jonathan crushed his face at the age of five, worst facial injuries in the history of Lubbock, they said at the time. We faced unbelievable difficult days ahead. The doctor initially told us that he would be brain damaged, because of crushing his face, he hit the outside edge of the bathtub with his face, and it completely obliterated the center of his face. He would uh, lose his sight probably because eye sockets had to been cracked, and he might not make it. Go home with that kind of news. Some of you have been through that. You know what that's about. And I'm laying there at that night. Jan's gone to sleep that night out of sheer exhaustion. We're up at 5 the next morning, go back to Lubbock to make tough calls on what to do with Jonathan. And I'm laying there, and I'm arguing with the Lord. And here's what I'm, I don't know if it's an argument, but I'm just trying to remind him of something I'm sure he had forgotten. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm, I'm a preacher, so I know some of the scriptures. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and th- supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Where's my peace? Because I'm not at peace. There are moments that we're not at peace. There are moments that we're not content. There are moments we're scared. And I was there. I could lose a five-year-old. It's a very real possibility of a tragedy unfolding us at that particular moment. And about the tenth time, be anxious for nothing, but every, in everything by prayer and supplication with... And I choked on the next words. Literally, I still remember this night. You have these moments every so often that live with you for the rest of your life. And I realized at that moment I was not thankful. I wasn't even close to thankful. Now, I don't get on my knees, especially now, because I can't get back up. But I got on my knees that night on the side of the bed in the middle of the night, and I said, Lord, I want to thank you. He's still alive. Thank you, Mom and Dad. will be on a plane in the morning. They're going to come up and be with us, because I'm not certain what to do. I'm just a dumb guy with little kids, and I don't know what you do at moments like that. But thank you, they're going to be there. Jan's parents were on their way up. Thank you that they're coming. Thank you they're going to be here with us. We'd already hit a huge amount of bills. And when you pastor a little rural church, farmhands would make more than the pastor does. They'd tell me that all the time, but they never did anything about it. But they'd tell me we pay farmhands. <laughs> and back then, it was the old 80-20 plan. And I'm a poor preacher, and they know I'm at a little church, and they want their 20% up front. Well, I don't have 20% of those bills in my checking account. We go paycheck to paycheck. So I called the bank. You can do this in a small town. I called the bank and said, I'm writing checks I can't cash. He said, Steve, it's okay. We're aware of it. You just write them. We'll figure it out later. When we got home that night, I got a call from the bank president. I said, Steve, don't worry about it. It's all been paid for. 
Anything comes in has been taken care of. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, Ernest Green paid for everything. Father, thank you for Ernest. I don't have to worry now about the debt we're going to go into because he had taken care of it. Church family had already done some stuff for us even before that day was over with. Thank you, thank you. And you know, I fell asleep. I have never forgotten that moment, guys. Because when we face difficult moments, don't be frustrated by it. Stop. Look up and say, thank you for my salvation. Thank you, we may still have a chance. Thank you for whatever it is that you can be thankful for. And I tell you what, there's more there than you can ever imagine. And when you do that, there's a peace which does what? Surpasses comprehension. You cannot explain it to anyone else. They may not understand why you're there, but you know something. Your God's in control. He's watching over you, and whatever may unfold, he will make something happen that will fulfill his glory and honor, and you'll walk through it with him. That's why Paul can get towards the end and make some of the statements he makes. This is how he finishes the course. But you've got to add one more thing to this. And the fourth thing is important. If you look at verse number uh, 8, finally, so we bring joy, gentleness, and prayer with thanksgiving. The fourth thing I bring is use your minds. You say, what do you mean by that? He said, whatever is true, honorable, all these characteristics of life, whatever is good about life, whatever you see about life that makes it so beautiful, all of those kind of things, what does he want us to do? What he wants us to do is to dwell on these things. That's what my translation says in verse 8. The last phrase, dwell on these things. Let me give you the Greek word, legizomai. Let's transliterate that into an English word, logic. We're commanded to think carefully, to weigh the great truths of God's word in the circumstance and situation that you're in. We're to do all of that and put it together. You say, well, I can't always think clearly at moments like that. You can if you're filled with joy, you're staying under control, and you're being thankful. You say, well, it's hard to think and to dwell. This is literally what Joshua was told to do when it says meditate upon the Word of God both day and night. And you say, well, I'm not real good at this meditating on Scripture. Oh, yes, you are. You're a lot better at it than you realize. You say, well, how do you know that? I said, because I know how well you meditate on your problems. I'm serious. We're all good at meditating on our problems, chewing them over until they about frustrate us so bad we can hardly move again and stuff. Instead of meditating on everything that's wrong, start thinking about what's right. This is the world that God has created us to be a part. There are so many amazing things going on around us. Look for what God's doing and look for how he's working within your family and in the situations. Dwell on that. And when you do, you know what? You're moving towards Paul now. Okay, one last thought. Is this instantaneous? No. I wish it was. I wish that we could, at the end of this service, we all get together, come down front, we all make a commitment, we're going to be filled with joy, we're going to be gentle with each other, we are going to pray with thanksgiving, and we're going to think of only that which is good, and then we'll say a prayer, boom, boom, we walk out of here, we're mature, ready to go. Uh, yes. It don't happen that way. What does he tell us to do in verse 9? First of all, put around you godly people. That's what Paul's telling them to do. What you've learned from Paul. 
what you've learned from some of the great men and women in this church who've taught you, who have been examples for you. You take that. Second thing you're to do, you receive it. My next-door neighbor, he moved recently, but my next-door neighbor, uh, he uh, played football for the New York Giants. He was a wide receiver. His name was Byron Williams, and he was good. Uh, there's a YouTube video of him catching a 70-yard touchdown pass against the Cowboys. Nothing unique about that. A lot of people have done that. <laughs> but I'm talking to him one day, and I asked him this. I said, I have to work. I'm new at this football stuff. I've been a pastor for 45 years. I've got to help receivers. What do I teach them? You, you're good at receiving the ball. What, what do I do? He said, let me get this right because I want to get his words right. You know what he tell, told me? Get your fingertips. The ball has to be on the fingertips. You don't want to hit your hands. You don't want to hit your shoulders. So any of you football guys, you catch with your fingers. Second thing that you do is focus on the point of the ball. The, now, sometimes if you had a quarterback like me, it was kind of tumbling. But for a good quarterback, it's coming right at you. They're being drilled in. He said, I would focus on the point of the ball. He said, Steve, you got to do that. And you've seen that. You've seen that in the Cowboy game. You see a guy running across the middle. It's hit right there. He's caught that thousands of times in his life. It's a simple catch. Just hit him right in the hand, and he'll drop it. But if you go back and see the replay, his eyes are somewhere else. And even the greatest receivers, if their eyes are not where they're supposed to be, cannot handle the catch. They'll miss it most of the time. And he said, you stay focused on that. And then lastly, he said, you name your ball. You give a name to the ball. I think his was Alice. That was his daughter's name. You don't drop Alice on a football field. A good dad does not drop his daughter. But he said the whole key to catching a ball is you're not distracted by everything around you. You grab and hold on. It comes right at you. You stay focused on it. I've thought about that a ton of times, and I've never used that in this message another time. But I thought that's what we're called to do. If we stay focused on who Jesus is, then we can receive the truths. We're not distracted by the things around us. And so when it comes, we're ready. And then he's going to say, what you've heard from me, we know faith comes from hearing, what you've seen in others. What do we do? Practice. Practice, practice, and practice. You won't be good at this. Our Tim, our youngest grandson, played football this year. And he's a seventh grader. And they put him on the eighth grade team, which I thought was a mistake. Because he'd never done this. He'd never been close to it. But he's fallen in his brother's footsteps. Branson was one of the best players that Feast ever had. And Caleb is having, <clears throat> coming up. I, Caleb, if he hits you, you're not getting up. He can hit you so hard. And so here goes our Tim out there. So Stephanie and Troy, my daughter and son-in-law, they're used to seeing their boys out there. And they're going no-to-nose, toe-to-toe with anybody. They're not fearful. They're not backing down. They're in there. Our Tim gets out there, and he's playing safety, and he's going... And then a guy runs by him, and he just watches. He's scared to death. He's afraid to hit. He's afraid he's going to get hurt. And Troy would say, Steve, what are we going to do? I said, let's give it some time. This is not an easy game to get used to out there. You get hurt out there. The hits sometimes, they sting badly. I said, he's got to learn this. By the end of the year, that young man will walk on the field as a seventh grader against eighth graders. He intercepted a pass for a touchdown. He made several amazing tackles. He took down a guy that was twice his size. You know what happened? 
That little boy practiced all year long, never missed a single practice, never missed a single moment. And by the end of the time, he had learned it. You put into practice what you've been learning. What we've been doing for the last 15 months and the things you've been doing in small groups, the things you've been doing in your Sunday school classes, when you hear truth, start making it work. Don't just walk out of here and go, Dr. Branson, great sermon. Then walk out and never think about it again. Instead of just saying to me, great sermon, that don't mean anything. I mean, I got out of right for a moment. But what you want to do is, okay, that one truth, I need to think about that. Does that work, what he said today? It makes sense. I see it in the Bible. Then start trying it. Start trying to be gentle. Start working on this joy thing. Start working and practicing that when you start worrying, start praying with thanksgiving. So that it becomes eventually second nature. That you don't even have to think about it. That it becomes a part of who you are. And when you finally do that, you want to know something? If you'll notice at the end of verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. But if you don't work at this, if you don't work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're going to be stumbling. It doesn't mean you're not a child of the king. But if you want to be able to get to the end of life and be able to stand up and say this, I fought a good fight. And I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. That's how he did it. And you know what? You wake up one day, and verse 11 is your life. Verse 11 is your life. I'm content. I have to tell you, I was not always content. That's one of the toughest lessons in life. And even now, ever so often, the contentment can vanish away from me pretty quickly if I'm not careful. You know, right after I retired, I went from busy as I've ever, you could ever be in your life. I was running a medical center. I was pastoring a church. I was teaching in seminary. I was doing political things in Washington, D.C. I was doing radio program. I was doing all this stuff on January the 30th. All that stuff's me. And then on February the 1, two years ago, who am I? It's all gone. It wasn't easy at first. Nobody's calling. Nobody's knocking on the door. Nobody needs great sage advice. <laughs> Especially my grandkids don't need to hear from an old guy. Contentment can vanish. But when you do what Paul's done, joy, gentleness, prayer with thanksgiving, dwelling on all that is good and working on that over and over, you wake up one day and you're, you're content in good and bad. You know, I, I think I, I, was, I was not content about retirement, cutting about half of my salary away that I was used to getting. But two years into it, we've done well. She hadn't had to cut back on her Amazon shopping and I hadn't had to... I, and I haven't cut back on my Apple products, so we've done well. Now, after today, we may have to do that again. But we've, we've, he took care of us. He's taken care of us better than we can ever ask for. That's where you want to get. And here's my final word. When you've got there, then you know what you can say? I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me. Can I? Yes, we can. But the real question is, 
Will I? Will you? And only you can answer that question. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. Thank you for how you've watched over each and every one of us. Thank you for this amazing passage that does give us an insight into how we are to walk with you. And help us, Father, to take it to heart, make it a part of all that we do and say. Help us to be the kind of men and women who are content in good and bad, who always trust you, whose whole focus in life, as Paul's was in chapter 3, verse 10, was to know Jesus. So help us, Father, to have that kind of passion that leads us to have this kind of character that Paul demonstrated. So when this is all said and done, when that trumpet sounds and we are being caught up together, we can look at each other as we go up together. And you want to know something? We made it. We finished the course. We kept the faith. Now it's time for a crown of righteousness. But until that day, we know you're always faithful. Help us to be faithful in all we do. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.